Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 552 on Tuesday, the 14th of November, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we're glad we haven't annoyed the unions of Sweden, we'll be looking for someone who likes to drive really fast in a straight line. In new new car news, we chat about more affordable cars. Oh, no, no, not that. And in points of interest, we are nervously looking over our shoulder. But first, we have two pieces of follow-up. The first is that Renault has now officially founded Ampere that we talked about, oh, early last year, was it? Felt like it. Uh, It feels like at least six months ago anyway. Yeah. And this is the dedicated EV division of Renault. Now, at the time, there was talks about it going to IPO, but that doesn't seem to be happening at the moment. That's gone all very quiet on that front. No. But they have now consolidated something like 11,000 people. They're eyeing four industrial plants in France. They are looking to reduce the costs for the next generation of EVs for Renault. That is their primary focus at the moment, because as we all know, EVs are not considered that affordable, particularly in the current climate, financial. They're going to get investment from Nissan, who are pumping in 600 million euros. Um, Mitsubishi are also going to add 200 million euros. But Nissan gets someone on the board from there. (laughs) Seems quite an expensive price for a seat, (laughs) 600 million. But there we go. Uh, But they've also revealed their new logo, which, when you look at it... Which is the important bit of all of this. Never mind all the other guff. When you look at it, it looks, I think it looks really nice. And it's very clean. Mm Mm-hmm. You can tell there is a connection with Renault, but it's not over the top and it's not as though they've just made the lines blue instead of white or something. There is a refreshing lack of blue in the logo. Yes. But we also get told what the logo means. And it is perpetual motion and ascending upwards to a shared goal. Which then made us feel rather icky. (laughs) It's a very perfect curve, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I, I think it looks nice. This seems all very sensible. It's a bit alarming. Yeah, because uh, they've got the, the Renault-lution or Revolution, mm. or whatever it is. That, Renault-lution. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They have seemingly attacked this in quite an un-car industry way, as in they realize they need to be experts in other things now. I think better than that, they've attacked it in an untech industry way. And I think that that's more important. It's not being done in a tech industry style way. Oh, tech is the best. I mean, to be honest, there's a certain amount of the sort of French psyche of planning it out and looking at the impacts and overthinking it. It's possibly there, but the nice thing is it's not carbon copy. Oh, we're going to do this tech industry fail fast, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. Minimum viable product. They don't seem to have done that at all. And this is nice. Yeah. Go Renault. Vive la Renault-Lucien, etc. <laughs> It seems very measured approach, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take us now to America, though? Yes. Speaking of the opposite, well, it's not quite the opposite, really, is it? Rivian, US electric vehicle maker that does actually make and sell electric vehicles, is ending its exclusivity clause with Amazon for their vans and their commercial vehicles. There was an exclusivity clause with Amazon. Amazon, however, dialed back the number they were ordering because. Amazon decided to dial back the number they were ordering. It's going to be possible to buy Rivian electric vans for your fleets should you need, want, 
and Desire uh, here in the US. They are still only fleet available. You can't buy them privately yet. By the way, as Amazon vehicles, I see them regularly around here. They seem popular. They always look smart. Anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, what you can kind of expect. But it's produced 16,304 vehicles in the third quarter, delivered 15,564, and have raised their production forecast for 2023 uh, from 52,000 to 54,000 vehicles. That's better news than some of the other commercial EV manufacturers that we've covered lately. Yes. Okay, I will now take us into new news. And I'll start with last week's King's Speech in which the Automated Vehicles Bill was announced. And we've touched on this several times in the last few years because it was going through consultation. The Law Commission came in and did a lot of work for the legal and insurance side of things. Can I just chime in quickly and point out that it's not the King who writes the speech? No, the Americans seem to have missed up on that one. (laughs) UK as well. It's like, well, the king said this. It's just, but he didn't write the speech. Just, but he gave the speech. He's, but he's really parliament that writes it and politicians that write the speech. He just mouths it. Yes. He is the presenter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the writers are elsewhere. It's just worth mentioning that because there is always so much king, you know, even the first paragraph of this thing, King Charles III has said, and it's, a, uh, yes, yes, he has said, you're quite right, but they weren't necessarily his words. Yeah. Just to make it different that the, the king is not insisting on everything being being autonomous yet. Yeah. This is all about the various aspects that will go to making up the what is going to be called, probably, most likely, the Automated Vehicles Bill. So it talks about the legal framework that's required, i.e. Uh, who is going to be responsible at what times and under what conditions. By the way, in, in defence of the UK government, I don't say that kind of thing very often, there's far more constraint around some of these things than in most other places. Yes, absolutely. Constraint, control, legislation. So that is a good thing. I mean, we've got... The week that came out, there was still the fallout from Cruz's incident mm. and still more details were being revealed of how it is alleged that they pushed envelopes as far as running safely were concerned. Yes. This is in place to try and help bring some confidence to those of us who are going to be on the road along with these vehicles, allegedly, and also try and make it as transparent as possible. The devil is going to be in the detail with this. There was lots of people getting very excited and saying, it's wonderful, look at the future, it's going to be marvellous. I mean, we had the same old tropes wheeled out that it's going to be better for the environment nonsense. I mean, all you need to know, folks, is Sir Edmund King, chairman of the AA, jumped on the bandwagon quicker than, I don't know. A very quick thing. (laughs) A very quick thing. I can't think of anything that's not extremely rude or demeaning right at the moment. (laughs) Also, there's been lots of discussions from UK-based autonomous vehicle development companies, and the, the, the usual nonsense comes up, like I said, environmental safety, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's zero proof of any of that. But was interesting to see that a few people did mention, and, and it's good to see that this was mentioned, the quality of our roads, mm-hmm. not only in terms of the surface, but the markings and signage mm-hmm. needs to dramatically increase if there's any hope of this tech 
working. People who've driven cars with lane keeping assist will get a hint of how difficult it will be for a computer to keep on the road if it can't detect the edge or the middle or whatever. Or it detects seven middles <laughs> as well. Sim- similar, you know, similar thing, you know, old, old markings that haven't been properly burnt off, that kind of stuff. That's a major challenge here. Yep. There's going to be two articles in the show notes if you want to read further on this. There's an autocar on a Top Gear one. So mm. do click in the show notes for those. Yes. On a related note, BMW has announced plans that the 7 Series will become the first vehicle in Germany that will offer level three hands-free driving. That was sort of vocal, inverted commas whatever. It quotes a cash price here, but I'm sure you'll be able to get it on subscription because that's the way BMW is trying to do stuff. No, no, there's a, there's a difference. No, in Germany, you, you pay for it outright. They're trying subscriptions elsewhere. Oh, okay, because the Germans won't stand for that. Because if you can't pay cash, that's it. I presume. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. Or a privacy thing. Possibly. Go Germany. This is GPS limited, many other limitations around it. It's a great headline, but it works at speeds of up to 37 miles an hour on motorways with structurally separate carriageways. Controls the car's speed, distance to the vehicle in front lane positioning. It was the only kind of its system, says BMW, can do this in the dark. When it's activated, in other words, when you are sitting in a traffic jam, for that is the only time that this will work, uh, BMW drivers will be able to stream videos in the car's main central screen and edit emails on the go. I can see Andrew looking down at his desk and shaking his head. I would be doing the same if I wasn't looking at the camera and speaking to the microphone. It's it's flawed. The trouble is, whenever the cloud traffic clears up in front of you, how far in advance does it know that? How are you going to be able to get prepped to take over again when that happens? Because we know what happens on, on motorways. It speeds up. And there's a zone of 50, and then it all bumbles up again. How will it deal with that kind of thing? How will it predict that that's going to happen? Well, let's let's see. That could be interesting. Um, hopefully interesting in a safe manner. But on top of that, there is the human ability to switch tasks properly. Yes. Because I, I have not been able to get an answer to this, but I have been asking around when people talk about, or researchers producing oh, handover could be done in 20 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever the car manufacturers are deciding to choose this time. Is that handover to stop the car or is that handover to then say, yeah, they're fully cognitive of everything that's going on and they drive perfectly normally from then on? Because there's studies that show just email yeah, and you're interrupted with a phone call takes minutes to get back into the, the same state. Yes, and it's very difficult to find answers to these to these questions. But they're being foisted onto public roads in vehicles. Yeah. They're also BMW are also looking to introduce us in the UK where they're going to call it level two plus. Now, I'm really sorry. Call me a total and utter pedant here, but you can't just make up levels, folks. It's bad enough that levels have been made up by the SAE, but I understand that in that case it's to explain things in a simple format. If you're in a smushy bit between the two of them, you can't make up a new level. You are two or you are three. You are not two plus. And two plus, by the way, means the difference is the driver has to be paying attention at all times, which in other words says, so why aren't you driving the darned car? Yes, the same as the Ford Mustang 
uh, yeah, Mackie, it's the same as the, the Mackie um, and Blue the- Cruise thing. Yes, and again, I, <laughs> I'm sorry to bring up, you know, science, but as we said at the time with the Blue Cruise, human beings cannot do hands off, eyes on for an automated mm. system. We do not do it with any reliability, with any degree of competence, and we're going to be asking members of the public to do this. Yes, exactly. The cost, by the way, the cost is to cover the higher definition mapping uh, required for this, according to BMW. Yeah, because they haven't said where it'll cover either yet. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> they haven't worked any of that out. Anyway, one last story on this kind of thing about over-promising. Yeah, there is a UK owner who has settled out of court with Tesla over the full self-driving claims. This is quite remarkable, really. It is on a number of levels. Yes, it really is. There is a gentleman called Ed Butler who shared his story in the Tesla Motor Club forum, which we are linking to an Inside EV article on this, uh, and so you can click on that in the show notes. But he bought his Model 3 and paid the extra to get the full self-driving feature at the time, and that cost 5800 Back in what date was it? Was it? It was quite a long time. He was one of the first Model Three owners in the UK, and at the time, twenty nineteen. Sorry, yeah. And Tesla was quoting dates. Yes, they said it will be ready by the end of twenty nineteen, and there were a number of commitments that were made publicly by Tesla around time. None of those have emerged, mm. and so he said, "Well, you know, actually, yeah," because he used the UK's Consumer Rights Act of twenty fifteen. Section 11 brackets 1, close brackets, that states every contract to supply goods by description is to be treated as including a term that the goods will match the description. And because this was bought via Tesla's own website, anything they said on the website was considered part of the contract. Yeah. On the website at the time, available for the UK purchasing, and this mm-hmm. is important because there's different wording in different uh, territories. But they stated that coming later this year, and this was for 2019, recognize and respond to traffic lights and stop signs, automatic driving on city streets. Now, the auto steer on city streets did not turn up until September 2023. Little bit late. Hmm. He took them to court and wanted the costs of that plus interest. Small claims court. Yeah. Good on him. Did it himself. Small claims court. And Tesla got in touch and said, we'll give you some money, please. And he accepted it. And that's that. Mm -hmm. But good. In a way, it's a shame it didn't go to court. I understand his point of view, by the way. I'm not digging him, but no, if no. that had gone to court, that would have been that would have been precedent for everywhere else, mm. no matter where. You know, it's a cheap, in the nicest possible way, cheap way for Tesla to get out of it. I mean, Mr. Butler got his money plus his time and his costs. Mm-hmm. Good on him. Yeah. And it's quite interesting. And, and let's see what happens with the future of that. Because whilst it doesn't quite set a precedent, it, it's it's like a bore hair away from it. Yeah. But interestingly, and connected with the automated vehicles bill, and there's lots of connections in our, our early articles. I know. It's almost as though we planned it. Almost. One of the interesting things that comes from that automated vehicles bill is that it will be illegal to over-exaggerate or exaggerate the capabilities of a system, mm-hmm. which could potentially lead up to people from the company going to jail. Not just fines, but actually going to do time in chokey. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully that makes some think a, a little bit. I think that maybe the more established manufacturers are 
less bad for over-exaggerating claims than perhaps some of the newer manufacturers. Yes. They haven't picked up that bad habit yet. No, not yet. Mm. Decontenting, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. A few short stories to zip through very quickly without too much analysis. Fingers crossed. Otherwise, you'll be here all day. Aston Martin. Again, the ongoing and rather strange battle for control of Aston Martin and constant escalation of shareholding. But not really. It's like low level. <laughs> low it level. Is. It's just weird. <laughs> we just don't understand this. Uh, so Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has raised its stake in the British luxury automaker by 2.6% to 20.5%. They are now back ahead of... A Geely chairman, Shufu Lee, on the shareholders list, he controls 17%. Lawrence Strolls is just above 26%. So it's as if everyone's trying to, I don't know, edge up in a really quite strange manner. It's like the slowest race on earth. Nobody's suddenly yeah, going, right, here's 40%. Bang, there, I've done it. You're out of the game. Does somebody <laughs> really want it, but for the lowest price possible? Does, are they trying to just stop other people having it? Yeah. It's very, very odd, but it's going on, and as a result, we're telling you about it. Yes. I'm going to take us to Edinburgh. Yeah, new laws, but no money. Yes. Edinburgh are going to be the first Scottish city to ban pavement parking outright. Now, in this article that is linked is the BBC News, and they do mention that already... Police can take action if a car or vehicle is an obstruction on pavements and it is only illegal in London as it stands uh, for the rest of the UK. There is already the legal ability to deal with this problem, mm -hmm. but it is not being dealt with looking at all the people who complain that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Is it something like 68% of the... of 68% of Edinburgh residents support the proposals. The survey suggests... <laughs> Sorry, I should point out that was the authority's own survey. Yeah. So, how many people that actually equated to them asking? Who knows? As we keep pointing out on all, <laughs> when it comes to data, there is already the way to deal with this problem that is clearly not being dealt with. What well, how they're going to fix this is bring in a new specific law to not be dealt with. But it's all right because they're going to increase the number of parking wardens or whatever they're called this week and uh, uh, on the streets to deal with this, aren't they, Andrew? Uh, no. Apparently they've got enough already. Okay. <sighs> All right. Fair enough. Well, Edinburgh, there you go. It, obviously, this, this shouldn't, we should not need to say this, but we, we will. Of course, you should not block a pavement. You should not force anyone to go into the road rather than use the designated area for their safety, which is a pavement. Yes. However... All the comments here talk about people being obstructed and that it, there's already the stuff in place. This is what frustrates me with this. Mm, that the it, there's this blanket ban there. because people have decided, oh, this person's obstructed. Well, just deal with the issue now. It, it, it's not that there isn't the way to deal with it. It's, it just isn't being dealt with. That's the problem. Anyway, take us to Maine and something good actually <laughs> would have taken you there because i was there at the weekend last week he says double checking the yes. date on this yeah so last week there were elections uh, across the u.s they were at a sort of local state and state level 
but one of the things that they do in the US is at the same time they they have a number of referendums mm-hmm. included in them. So you often see signs saying "Vote no" to question four. You've no idea what question four is for, but but you have to vote no for it. <laughs> um, it's the important bit. One of the ones in the state of Maine was about auto repair rights. Question four was to ask if voters want auto manufacturers to enable owners and their preferred mechanics to access their car's diagnostic systems. Voters said yes by an 84% majority. Which is excellent. Which is is quite impressive. So this is another march on on the road towards the the right to repair, which is kind of tramping its way across the US, much to the disgust of, of many manufacturers. It's a big issue here because, especially in somewhere like Maine, which is pretty remote it is mostly trees yeah it is the norway of america (laughs) it is trees and sod all else but very pretty the more remote you are the bigger an issue it is because you can't get the manufacturer approved distributor vendor whatever to come out and fix your uh, ice cream maker (laughs) there's all sorts of all sorts of issues like that this has been very popular obviously there are more and more people seeing that the things should be repaired before they should be recycled or, or, or re, well, repaired so they can be reused before they're recycled or whatever else. Yeah. Big deal over here. Yeah. I'm going to stick with the US. Whereas that was good, this is not so good. But this mainly goes to show how fragmented the US is, particularly when it comes to privacy laws. A court in Washington has ruled that automakers sorry clarity moment that's washington state on the west coast not washington district of columbia on the east coast yes apologies for that yeah no you're quite right to point that out a federal judge in washington state has declared that four auto manufacturers have not violated the privacy laws which was brought in a class action lawsuit suggesting that the onboard infotainment systems recorded and were uh, had customers' private text messages and mobile phone call logs intercepted by the car companies and done with whatever they willed. Yes. It's not that the car companies, by the way, were reading them or anything like that. It's just they went into the infotainment system, it recorded them, and then it wouldn't let you do anything with them or get rid of them or any of these things. Yes. It's not that people were... uh, The only thing that they would do was in the event of an accident, they would hand them all over to, to law enforcement. So it's not that the car companies were reading the text well, messages. We don't know that. When you tie that in with the Mozilla report that came out and what well, what car yes. companies want to do and want to infer, this, mm-hmm. this is quite a... We, we sort of knew this, but what is interesting is... I'm sorry. On the other hand, mate, Honda, Toyota, Volkswagen, and General Motors, mm-hmm. there's no way they've got the ability to do that. And their infotainments all suck. If you read the Mozilla report, they all say they do access these things. Mm, okay. Mm, I concede your point. Um, but what, what's interesting is and what, how mad it is in America, and I don't envy Alan on this front at all, is that the Privacy Act stated that the plaintiff must prove that his or her business, his or her person, or his or her reputation have been threatened by them accessing this this data in the first place. So it's you can, written piece you can of... go at it as much as you like and hoard it or do whatever you want as long as mm-hmm. the plate the the people involved can't prove that you've damaged them 
their business, their personal, their reputation. <laughs> That's just mad. I really miss GDPR. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, and it's up there with random taxation, which I was grumbling about on Twitter yesterday. It's up there. Those are the two things that there are so many lovely things about this country, but there are those two the, the two top things that I really hate. The third, by the way, is that the laws are always written that big companies win. The little person can practically never win. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do you want to stick in the US, though, with the next item? Uh, yeah, God, going, going further on this one. This is an article from the Gentleman Racer. It's a little bit, or oh, it's been around a little while. I think. Yeah, because what it's discussing came, it has, uh, was announced last year, and this is when this came out. Mm -hmm. But there is a particular point to it that's sort of risen in the last week or so. Yes. There is a piece of legislation here in the US which is about the autonomous driving requirements for US passenger vehicles. But there is one line in it which basically mandates a kill switch to be standard equipment in all new vehicles by 2026. And it's all about the kill switch isn't just activated remotely or whatever by police. It is activated by the vehicle dependent on the driver monitoring systems fitted. If it decides that you're driving in an unsafe fashion, if it decides that you're, you're, you're being erratic for whatever reason, as defined somewhere, there is no definition in the legislation, then uh, the vehicle has to stop. Yes. However, uh, this is meant to be standard equipment by all vehicles by 2026. There are no vehicles on the road at the moment. There are no systems available, whether optionally or as standard, that can decide how to make a safe stop on any road. Let alone decide with any accuracy at all whether you are fit to drive or not. Yeah, exactly. First of all, uh, how does it decide what is impaired? Mm. Secondly, how does it then decide how to stop you? And third, how does it then decide where and when is safe to do so? Yeah. There are so many questions on this. If it's done all that, does it then call off to somewhere, to some base or the authorities and say, I've pulled this over because it's triggered my this person isn't safe to drive algorithm? Yeah. And if you are safe to drive, how do you get it to start? How do you prove your innocence? Because we see this all the time with the insurance stuff, where people have to have the black box insurance to make the black box fitted to their cars, and then all of a sudden the insurance company's going, well, why are you driving at 100 miles an hour on this quarter of a mile stretch of road in this 1.2 litre Skoda Fabia? Which is just an impossibility. Yeah. But no, 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 that's, a, that you, that's an infraction. Well, there was the chap in Wales last week whose insurers said you are now banned from driving, or we're not covering you from driving because their maps had incorrectly updated the 20 mile an hour zone and he said you're doing 60 in a 20 no way you're not allowed to drive anymore and he's mm. like but it's a 60 no our maps say it's a 20 yeah this whole idea that tech is going to fix our problems i still struggle that people believe this every time instead of going mm, yes but because mm -hmm. just for this driver monitoring for them to do that accurately they are going to have had to have picked all the possible races in the in the world, because they could yeah. potentially drive the vehicle in America, mm -hmm. both male and female, mm -hmm. all age groups, yeah, 
and that's without you having any abnormalities of whatever their machine learning has decided is a normal face. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's so Just many flaws in it. Work. Anyway, anyway, it's one to bear in mind, I think. Well, as the driver monitoring's coming to the UK, not with the kill switch, and it's coming to Europe. Mm. It's going to be an issue. This is really important because the systems don't work. Yeah. We'll add this on top of everything else that's really bad about ADAS. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Alan, would you like to be strapped to a rocket at 800 mile an hour? No. Okay. This next job's not for you then. No. I shall stick with waving my arms around in front of people. Nice to see Bloodhound back in the news again. It is being demothballed. But at the minute, they are back in a position to be able to show off the development of synthetic fuels and to be there and relevant and breaking land speed records because breaking land speed records is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, not only that, of course, but supporting lots and lots of, of, of STEM projects uh, in schools and basically enthusing the youth, Yes, which is important. The idea is that the Eurofighter Typhoon engines that take it up to speed before the rocket kicks in, the idea is that they're going to run on specially formulated zero-emission synthetic fuel. It's a good showcase for that. Of course, once the rocket kicks in, all it gives off anyway is... <laughs> all it gives off uh, is steam and something else, just by the very nature of, of rocket fuels and, and how rockets uh, rockets are. I think it's great. This is back on... The th on back, I was going to say on the road, uh, but it's getting back and, and prepared again. But obviously, Wing Commander Andy Green, who was meant to be driving it, he's stepping back a bit from that role. Although he's going to be there just in case, you know, uh, just in case there's some reason you decide that 500 miles an hour is, is fast enough, he would still be prepared to take over. But he's going to be doing more of the uh, fund driving and fundraising and, and more of the management type stuff rather than being the driver this time. Yep. It's good to see it's back. Yes. I'm going to take us to Scotland. And for some reason, this hasn't happened sooner, as we were discussing before we pressed record. Uh, but 4EV is going to be uh, rolling out rapid chargers across four branches of Starbucks in Scotland. They've done Livingston and Dunfermline already. They're going to be ultra-rapid 150 kilowatt C-series chargers. Um, so that will take, apparently, a typical EV, your environmental conditions allowing from 20% to 80% charge in about 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Good. More of this, as we say yes. every time we see it, just more. Blair Gary's not going to be quite as fast, but that says an awful lot about more about Blair Gary than it does about rapid charges. I shall bow to your superior local knowledge on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've done it, Alan. We've, we've taken a long time, but we've, we've made it through the first part. But yes, it was longer than expected, because when places when we hoped we were going to be a little bit quicker, people, we, we, we took a bit longer. They needed to be explained. Right. But it's Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show, where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you everybody who does. 
As I've taken us off track and made us so late, I will try and get us back on with starting new new car news. And this is the Volvo EM90, which is uh, their luxury MPV with a potential range of up to 458 miles. Think along the lines of the Lexus luxury MPV that we discussed. The LM. Yes, the LM uh, we discussed a few months ago. It's that sort of idea where you're very much in an aircraft seat type thing. Lots of space, lots of toys, lots of comfort. If you're familiar with the Zika 009 MPV, then you could think about that because it's incredibly similar. Yes, <laughs> very astonishingly, astonishingly similar, but with <laughs> Volvo badges, yes. Primarily for the Chinese market, obviously. I, again, those Far Eastern markets where this kind of luxury day van is really the, the ultimate luxury for carting your family around, generally driven by someone else. There's a lot to be said for these things. I think a great idea. I think this looks really smart. like it. Yeah, it looks fine. Uh, it'd be interesting to know if there is a market for these things. Well, outside, outside of the Far East? In, in a world of SUVs. Yeah, in a world of SUVs. Because these make a lot of sense. They're often smaller. They've actually often got a smaller footprint than most SUVs. And because you've got mm. that height, it makes such a difference. Zero bonnet, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to find um, estimated prices. I don't I think there are. There have been no announcements any further than that. What we do have prices for, though, is the Volkswagen ID7. ID7 is going to be the latest all-electric Volkswagen. It is basically an electric Passat, so it is a saloon. Yes. It will also be available as an estate. Uh, prices begin at 50000 55,000, pardon me, 570 pounds. The uh, Pro Launch Edition will come with 19 inch alloys, 15 inch infotainment system, and heated front seats as standard, as well as a free home wall charger and 750 pounds in public charging credits. That's the only price that's been revealed so far. It's anticipated there'll be cheaper trim levels offered in the future. Now, I've got to say, I mean, there's, I I can go through all the battery specs, but it doesn't really matter too much to anyone, does it? 382 mile range ish for the small pack, 435 ish miles for the larger pack, and the fastest model they're expecting 0 to 62 in six seconds. Great, but this really is is very much Passat replacement, and this is this is not an exciting thing to look at. I'm sure it's not going to be wonderfully exciting to drive either, but it will probably be incredibly competent at doing saloon car and estate car things i imagine it'll be relatively popular with fleets as well especially in this touring version yep yeah lots of boot space lots of space in the back their end death lesson well i'm going to stick with something that is very much of yesterday or now yesterday really because this is the brand new cle coupe from mercedes-benz which is going to start at forty six thousand six hundred and five pounds it's very precise well how they worked out the five uh, the end of that. And it is uh, going to replace the C and E class coupes in, all in one vehicle. Mm-hmm. There will be four trim lines available. And do bear with us if uh, these sound familiar, as in last week when we were discussing the E class estate. But the AMG line, AMG line premium, AMG line premium plus, and premier edition. Yeah, the, a variety of engines, trim levels including a diesel yes that that is a bit of a surprise 
I think it looks nice. I think it looks really quite smart. It's it, it doesn't doesn't make me go. Ooh, what have they done? No, the interior is a little bit special. It's just I the same as every other. There's nothing. Yeah, no, I'm not really a fan. There's, there's, there's nothing really massive to write home about. Uh, We're including this because it's a new internal combustion engine model, basically, and it's available with a diesel, and it looks nice. It looks gorgeous in blue. Um, one of the lower down pictures is there with the cabriolet, but there's a mm. blue one there, and that blue looks fantastic. It's a nice looking thing, classical proportions, etc., etc., yeah. etc. Yeah, good. Click in the show notes to see what Autocar tells you more than we have done. Yes. We mentioned earlier on that Rivian have ended their exclusivity deal with Amazon. Uh, and I also promised that I'd tell you a bit more about what you can get. Well, there's a story on the Autopian, which starts to give a little bit more of an idea around specs and prices. It turns out the starting price for uh, one of the Rivian vans is $83,000. Now, that's $5,000 more than Rivian's R1 SUV and a fair whack more than Ford's e-transit. But it's a much bigger vehicle. Uh, it is 114.7 freedom inches from the roof to the ground. It is really tall. It is very easy for even tall people to stand up, move around in the back, uh, get packages out. It is big. It is square. Uh, it also has a massive payload and a decent-sized battery, which doesn't impinge in anything. They're commenting here, this would be a fantastic, not only, you know, obviously you can buy, buy them by the fleet, they're all front-wheel drive, uh, etc. And they're all modular in terms of lens, so you get multiple different lens. But it's saying, what a great camper van this would make, just because of how regular and square the back of it is. The challenge, of course, is the 250 to 300 miles of range. That may well be a challenge. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at the front three-quarter mm -hmm. picture. Oh, well, whether it's taken from the front three quarters. And that's all I could think of when I was looking at it. I was going, just sitting there thinking, that's great for a relatively smallish mm -hmm. for the US, but normal, large, large ish for the UK uh, camper van. It's not an unreasonable size for a camper van in the UK at all. Mm. Um, I could see that. It's still maybe a little wider than most vans, but about the width of a camper anyway and you know the yeah. front passenger side door uh drops straight onto the pavement that's the one that's the primary door for people to use all these kind of things it's already majorly equipped and designed for that kind of thing there's lots more detail in the autopian article i'm trying not to go through and, and sort of compare too many numbers it's kind of interesting and just it's i think it's a cool looking van i see them around quite a lot and it it does seem to it just it looks good and they don't look too broken ever mm -hmm. right i'm going to bring us back to the uk and talk about something that missed us by the first time around which was back in july but nissan has launched their own subscription service for evs now i'm including this because there is well one there's so many negative stories about evs at the minute for some reason including that ev sales are tanking and the, the market's about to crash and we don't see I, evidence I, uh, of that when we cover it month by month i do I wonder where say. the telegraph and many of these newspapers are getting their stories from because it's not from the automotive journalists correspondents no no although there is an increasing noise um about america as well about how that's going wrong but that i think that's particular 
yes. manufacturers and yes. particular models. Yeah, yeah some of them are just way off. However, with the subscription service, you can pick the Nissan Leaf, the oh, I can Aria. never know how to pronounce this. The Ira, Aria. Aria? Aria? Yeah, I think that's Aria. I think right. Aria. A-R-I-Y-A. That's their fully electric mm-hmm. SUV. They've got the mild hybrid Nissan Cash Cow from £645 a month based on a 24-month subscription. That sounds like lots until you realise that that's everything. That's, that's yeah. servicing, road tax, insurance, roadside assistance, should you need it, hopefully you won't in a new car. That is, that is everything. Basically, you pay that and, and you got the car. And you only put down one month's deposit. One month's payment as deposit. And we were talking about this beforehand. And and one of the things is I don't understand why more manufacturers don't do this. I mean, I know Renault's launched one with their Megane E-Tech. Mm-hmm. But, and I, I, th- I'm, I think Volvo have got something similar. They do. Yeah. Because if I remember correctly, the XC40 became massively popular very quickly because you could get that on the subscription. Hmm. But I don't know why all manufacturers don't don't do this. Yeah, the nice thing about this one as well, from Nissan's point of view, is that they you can swap if you need to. Yeah, partway through. I'm sure there's a limited number of swaps, but that's that. And contracts available from a minimum of three months up to forty eight months, and eight hundred miles of usage a month, which is quite a lot, really, in total. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. Yeah, especially in that market of car. Yes. These are not cars bought by enthusiasts. They're not going to be wanting to modify them, tweak them, whatever else. No. They want a vehicle. Yeah. So I think it's perfect, perfect pitching for that kind of thing. And it's not, it's not overly premium, but it's not, it's not not premium, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Right. I think we should probably tackle points of interest now as we speed yeah. up the second part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent piece in Haggerty for our lunchtime read. It's all about what I think is one of the m- most beautiful cars to come out of Italy ever, 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 ever. And that's uh, the Alfa Romeo 33 Stradale. Well, we said at the time when we discussed the reimagining the homage to the Alfa came out with recently, mm. that we were a little bit underwhelmed, mainly because of what they were basing it on. I would say, uh, friend of the show, uh, Matteo Licata goes through the history of the original 33 Stradale and how it was a little bit of a rough ride to get there before what, what came out came out. So it's well worth four or five minutes of your time uh, to read that and try not to read it in Matteo's Italian accent. <laughs> it, should, it should come with, you know, an, uh, an embedded player. Yeah. So which Matteo is just, can just read Mat- it to us all. Matteo reading it out. So like... Oh. Moving on. Andrew, list of the week this week. List of the week. Uh, we covered not so long ago about uh, Michael Woolhead and the MGB East that won the Hot Wheels for the UK entry. There is now the global finalist. They've all got together for the Hot Wheels Legends Tour. It's going to be judged by... Uh, is, the judging panel is going to be led by Jay Leno, actually. Now, Alan, mm-hmm. there are 10 options here, so it's only mm-hmm. you choosing. Is there one of these that jumps out to you more than others that you go, yes, I, I, I will go and buy that, please? And what about the Hot Wheels model as <laughs> well? It's, it's, yes, so it's a little tricky, as I'm sure you'll, you'll see. I like 
Uh, I like the French entry. Thibaut Lagardère and the Golgoth One, which is... It's amazing. It's just nuts. Um, It is mad. It is... It's it's an aircraft tank with a V eight flathead engine, free flowing exhaust. It it looks it's just it's just mad to have a look. Go have a look and see because it is so cool and it's yeah. just so different. It's so I think. Hot it, it really is. I, that, that's one of my things as I'm flicking through these. Lots of these are like, well, you know. It's a production car with bits stuck on, and you know maybe they could reuse the existing casting molds and stuff like that. And then, and then you you get to that, and it's just like, <laughs> good luck. That's going to be great, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful thing. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, Alan, that leaves us with just the and finally. Good luck. <laughs> and finally, this week, yes, the Rimac Nevera, super fast electric vehicle, is now officially. The world's fastest car whilst driving in reverse. Obviously, it's electric, so it doesn't have conventional gears, and it was recorded at 171.34 miles an hour. That's nuts. Absolutely insane. How do you not, considering how easy it is to make something go very twitchy while reversing if you if you did it with anything more than a crawl. Yes. It was driven by Goran Derndak. I apologize profusely, sir, for getting that wrong. I'm sure I must have. And he said, on the run itself, it definitely took some getting used to. You're facing straight out backwards, watching the scenery flash away from you faster and faster, feeling your neck pulled forwards in almost the same sensation you'd normally get under heavy braking. You're moving the steering wheel so gently, careful not to upset the balance, watching for your course and your braking point out to the rear view mirror, all while keeping an eye on the speed. I mean, credit to credit to him. Um, the story, by the way, and a bit more uh, is all on Eva. Yeah. Uh, link in the show notes, as always. Mad. Absolutely mad. I think, is that us for this week? I don't think, I think there's so. any points of interest yet. That, that's us. There's nothing we've missed. So, folks, don't forget, and that between now and next week you can give us any feedback share your thoughts to show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities and remember you can support us financially via patreon and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you the best way to get in touch with me is if you search for crack windscreen on twitter or mastodon you'll find me there and Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, then either uh, Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon, Instagram, any of the grown-up social media platforms, I can generally be hovering about on, on one of them at any time, I suppose. In all cases, I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-I-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back before very long. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>